Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast, presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and it's also available through the Danfoss Ref Tools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see our video collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. Well, Chris, there's not a lot of time has passed since our last, uh, last podcast recording, so I can't tell you a whole lot about Penn State or the University of Maryland, but I'm guessing Penn State's going to be undefeated still. <laughs> the weather hasn't changed much, so it's amazing how yeah. close that still is. So. Yeah, well, that's how fall is in <laughs> northern Maryland. All right, so Chris, uh, a couple weeks ago, we took a look at the System Manager 800 series controller, which had been getting most of the installs since 2015. We talked about hardware, the basic connections, the software uh, upgrades, shortcuts on the keypad, that sort of thing. And this week, we're going to cover software options, adding things in the controller, and finding those graphs. Yep. Uh, so... Let's move ahead with uh, talking about software, first of all, and specifically software you can use to connect to this. So mainly you're going to use StoreView desktop software, and it allows you to connect, uh, see what's going on, make changes in the controller, and if you have graphics files loaded, you can look at those too. And when you plug in an IP address into StoreView Desktop, you can, uh, you'll plug in the, the master IP address, and there's an address book there too. And if you uh, edit the address book, then it'll be the same address book you can see in RMT. Yep. And we'll talk about RMT in just a few seconds here. So uh, if you want to direct connect to the controller, you're going to use your laptop and you'll use the Ethernet port on your laptop. Um, for the most part, most people will get the IP address out of the controller and then they will... Um, put a manual IP address in their laptop that's very similar, but not the same. Mm -hmm. And that's how they'll direct connect. Um, used to be you had to have a crossover cable for that, but a lot of laptops have built in a little more flexibility, so you don't necessarily have to have that. But right, if right. you want to be safe, get yourself a, uh, a inexpensive crossover Cat5 or Cat6 cable, and you'll be good to go there. Yep. And then uh, RMT is the other software that we um, want to talk about a little bit, and that's a separate piece, but it's kind of linked to StoreView in a way, and it's used for doing pullbacks and reloads. And um, when you want to connect to a store to do your pullbacks, you have to remember that you'll connect to the master IP unit. You'll pull that one back and save it, and then you'll disconnect, and then you'll have to connect to the next unit connect to its IP address, and then connect to that one and so on. Yeah, that, the software maybe is a little misleading when if you're not familiar with it because when you log in, it does show you tabs for every controller on that host network, but that doesn't mean clicking on that tab is the unit you're actually pulling back. Right. So, yep. yeah, you want to log into each one. Yep. So um, you used to be able to use a browser with this because when it uh, hit the market, it was um, set up as a web-based controller, and you used to be able to use a browser until Adobe Flash went away. 
And uh, that was the end of that. Don't blame us. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so yeah, uh, you can't use a browser anymore, but you can use uh, StoreU for that. And um, we also talked about the um, possibly if you're going to install StoreView Desktop or RMT for the first time, you can get that off of our website for free. But um, it seems like uh, lately there's been a little bit of a change to Adobe Air, and um, I recommend downloading Adobe Air first. Uh, if you do a search on it, it's um, a company that's kind of an offshoot to Samsung uh, is hosting it. But if you can download Adobe Air for Windows, then you'll be fine, and then you download and install StoreView Desktop and RMT. Okay. Yep. Yep. So we'll switch gears to uh, logging in. And so the units out of the box, they have a, a default code in them. Um, so to use that, and it's supervisor with a capital S for the username, and then the password is gonna just be one, two, three, four, five. So that's whether you're at the unit or you're trying to get in through StoreView Desktop, that's the default login. And then obviously if a, a customer or users change those access levels, which they can do, then if that doesn't work, then it's something you, you probably have to touch base with the customer um, and try to get them to give you the codes that you need to log in. But that is the default out of the box. Uh, from a, a features standpoint, and so if you're in a situation where you're maybe setting it up early on and you got to add a rack to the unit or, or maybe even down the road where you're just adding a case, a rooftop unit or some miscellaneous points into the program, um, there's no need for any licensing in there to do those things typically. It, it's usually just a matter of getting into the configuration section of the program, which is your gear button. Or if you're on a computer, there should be a config option at the top of StoreView Desktop. And then under configuration, you have a control tab you can go into to add those things in. The, the main control tab is nice because it kind of lays out the whole structure of the, the database for you as far as how many racks do I have, how many rooftop units, lighting zones, and whatnot. Um, the only situation where you may run into a licensing issue is if you if it's an 850 that's been purchased and is used um, on the, the unit. And if you have an 850, knowing that that's a refrigeration-only model and you go in there and try to add some HVAC, um, you're going to get blocked. The controller's not going to allow it. So that, that would be the one situation where um, you won't just be able to kind of freely set up what you want. Uh, once you are inside of the screen or the controller, like I said, you, the configuration um, gear button or the configuration option at the top of StoreView Desktop, that's where you normally start out if you need to get into your, your second level setup options. Um, you're going to see a series of tabs there. Uh, one of the tabs is your uh, COM tab. So when you're first bringing the unit online, this is where you jump into to put in things like your IP address, your network mask, your default gateway. Um, so that's all configured there. And then you got to make sure afterwards that you reset the unit. And right at the top of that page, you get that option of press here to reset the unit that you would use to do that. Yep. And continuing on with configuration, uh, one of the options you'll see in there is network nodes. And uh, it's pretty handy for anything to do with I.O. So you can see if boards are online or offline. Uh, of course, that's where you would do your rescan. It'll tell you when the last rescan was done. 
Um, so you can kind of tell if somebody's been in there and, and rescan just recently, or you know, sometimes you see controllers run for several years without a rescan. Yep. And uh, once you dig into the points, you can um, go into sensor inputs and you can do things like sensor offsets there. I mean, there are other places you can do it, but this is sort of a one-stop shop for that sort of thing. Yep. You can do um, manual overrides for uh, inputs, uh, like digital inputs or, or relays. And you can uh, assign points um, for the most part. As long as a point's been created, you can assign a board point in there. But if it's going to be a variable output point, your best bet is to not do it back there. It's to do it under um, config and control and right. like refridge and addresses. Do it in there because then you'll see all your options. Yep. And then um, if you want to set up a special alarm um, on an input or a relay or even a sensor that's not uh, the run-of-the-mill type of alarm, you can do it back there too. And uh, one other thing you can do under network nodes is um, if you go under relays, you can see run times and cycles on that relay uh, for things like today, yesterday, and then totals. Is that based on the history sample rate or is that going to capture that no matter what? That uh, it's going to capture it no matter what. So that's a better place for people probably if they're trying to see how many times a compressor turned on and off or something as right. opposed to relying on their history. That's that's a better place to go. Yeah. Yep, and um, there is an option under the rack status. Mm -hmm. It's um, what's it called? Is it? It's either manual operation. Yeah, it yeah. is maintenance. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it's maintenance. Will give you run times and cycles per compressor and kind of a a nice neat package. Get out of jail free card on Stump Chris. <laughs> you might need it. <laughs> Uh, and then there's uh, alarm tab is something else you're going to see in this section too. <clears throat> so this is where we would want to get into to set up alarming in the controller. So that that's not necessarily the high temp, low temp alarms for every case, but more general. What are we doing with our alarms once they've generated? So there's the alarm routing inside of there of where the alarms are going to send to. Um, you get your relay set up if you're using an alarm relay. So that, that tab is more tailored to what are we doing with an alarm once one generates in the unit. And then there's a there's also a control tab. Uh, and that's where I think most people spend a lot of their time if they're getting into the con config section at all. Um, so that that's where you're going to be able to get into refrigeration and HVAC and, and lighting and whatnot. And, set your parameters in each one of those individual sections, but controls what you're, you're shooting for when you get into those things. Um, case controllers, uh, uh, there's one thing that, that can be a little tricky for guys that maybe are dealing with their first case controller site or don't see them too frequently, but um, I think most people's first intuition with, I need to check and see how often my case controller is defrosting or when is it defrosting, is for them to jump into the configuration screen for their case controllers. And, and there actually is a drop-down option for defrost schedules there. And people might be confused by the fact that it doesn't show a whole lot, that it's all right. zeros. Yep. Um, it's just some of the flexibility we have. So that, that section that you're looking at, if you are there, it would be internal setup times in the case controller that, that are configured for when a defrost starts. 99 times out of 100, if we're using case controllers with a system manager, though, that's not where we're going to configure them. So if you're back under configuration, control, and refrigeration in your system manager, you're going to see a, another tab for schedules. 
And this is where we usually set up our defrost schedules because it allows us to group multiple case controllers into one schedule and coordinate the defrost between them. Um, gives us a little more visibility and, and it kind of puts everything in one place. And so uh, it, it's, again, if you're looking for where a defrost schedule for a case controller system would be set up, there is a dedicated schedules tab under um, refrigeration that you want to look at for that. Yep. <clears throat> Uh, emailing alarms is something else that we get into now. You get some people that maybe aren't using a monitoring service, but they still want some notification of when something happens in their store or with their controller. So the SM800 uses that, that older SMTP format um, with no, no encryption to it. So we've talked some about SSL and some of the other encryptions that the new 800A has, but that's not anything that the 800 supports. So it's just a, a your generic SMTP format there. Um, to tell the controller how to find the email server, which is something we need to do, then we're either going to do that through a DNS server name or through the server IP address. Um, so that's a field you're going to see in the setup of the um, alarm routing when you're setting up where these emails are going is you're going to have to program in the server email name or server email address and that's something you'd have to get from from the company that's supporting that um, that network or that server uh, there is an authentication option so if you do need some type of a username and password to access the server to send the emails um, then we do have that configuration in the the sm800 to set up and when you're looking at the emails specifically, you're going to see a couple fields where you can put who the email address recipients are of the alarms. And then down at the bottom, you're also going to see one that says reply to, which might not make a whole lot of sense. I think the big takeaway you want for that is that we need something in there. A lot of times people may just duplicate one of the recipient email addresses and the reply to doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be someone different. The controller needs to see something in that field to, to properly send the emails to the, the recipient addresses that you have up above that. Yeah, it just has to look like an email address. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you'll you'll put your recipient email addresses in that section. Um, and, and again, I mean, if you're looking at it, majority of it's pretty straightforward, what you're looking at. So um, it shouldn't be too confusing there. We do get into some people that are want to use Gmail or Google servers to uh, transmit and, and receive these um, alarms in an email format. Um, something we've supported for a few years. We have a document on our, our danfoss.com uh, slash supermarket support site on exactly how to set that up. Shameless plug. That's right. Uh, um, but. You can go in there to see how to set it up so that if we want to use Google's or Gmail servers to send them, you can. We have heard some rumblings that Google changed some things maybe on their servers as far as what they do allow and, and won't allow anymore. Um, we just talked. We haven't heard of anybody saying that they're not receiving alarms anymore of people that have this set up in place, but... Maybe just something to keep uh, in the back of your head is if you are using a Gmail server to send your alarms and all of a sudden you stop getting alarms. One of the things that we may have to discuss is whether or not Google's still supporting that or not. Right. And then 
the configs in place. We know what the purpose is. One of the things that you have access to is kind of if you're on your dashboard or your home screen and, and local to the unit, you can hit your alarms button. Or if you're through a PC on StoreView desktop, you have the alarms um, wording that you can click on up top to see active, acknowledged, cleared alarms. There's also a status and service tab there where you can get into an info tab. And that's going to give you your logs, your details of the controller trying to transmit these alarms via email. And it's going to tell you, hey, the server couldn't be reached or yes, the email sent successfully from what I can tell as far as what the controller thinks. Um, so that info section gives you a good bit of uh, data and, and an idea of what's really going on with these alarms being pushed out. Yep. And the last thing we'll cover here is um, pulling up history because uh, sometimes it's not real clear how to go through that. But in general, if you, let's say you wanna pull up uh, history on a case, you'll pull up that case and go to status. And of course you have tabs for status, setting service and that sort of thing. Um, but once you have the case uh, pulled up on the screen, then you can hit the menu button, which we said is the one with the three lines on it. Yep. And then you'll have an option for device history. And then you can use a select button and you can pick from inputs and outputs and different sorts of things that are being logged in history. Um, it could even be something like uh, on a case controller, it could be um, the case temp or superheat or any of those things. But you can pick up to five things when you're in there. And then when you hit escape, then you'll have your graph and it'll have the five things listed there. So you know um, that each data point represents a color on the graph. And of course, you can move back and forth. Yep. And hitting that escape button's the key because that, that gets you back to it. And guys don't always recognize that. Right, right. Yep. Okay. So in our minds, those are some of the FAQs for the SM800 controller, uh, at least the ones that people have asked me about. And we hope that uh, this two-part series has been helpful to kind of run through that controller, even though it's been out there for seven years, there's always someone that is coming upon it for the first time. Yep. All right, Chris, let's um, see if we can ask you a question that you may or may not know. <laughs> and uh, I have not shared the uh, question nor the answer with you. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. What fun would that be? Mm. So in the... Uh, 800 controller, we talked about going into the config and control and kind of setting things up. Mm -hmm. One of the options you have is for energy meters. Mm -hmm. How many energy meters can you tie into this controller if you really wanted to? Hmm. I shouldn't admit that I was looking at that chart the other day. And I... <laughs> Committing it to memory. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be... Let's just pick that random number again. <laughs> one guess and one guess only. Make it count. Uh, let's go with 30. Oh, I'm sorry. You're a little well, low. too low. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, it's yeah. actually a crazy number. It's 80. Is it? And 80 energy meters. Yeah. You could do your store and then all the houses around it if you really wanted to. Every cash register in the building. That's right. Yeah. Find out who's really working. Yeah. All right. So in the absence of listener mail this week... Um, we don't need to talk about all the spam that I'm getting, but uh, so we'll put in a shameless plug for the food retail training this time around. So Ernie Lynch is our training manager, and uh, if you have a question about getting training or what's going to be offered or what uh, training is available or can they customize it, you can always email him at training.foodretail at danfoss.com. 
and he'll get back to you. If you'd like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics to cover, a question, or a comment, you can email us at ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineer is Michael. Don't call me Mike Beckerman. Our audio engineer is still Raul Garcia. Maria is back just in time to save our podcast. (laughs) Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool.